My name is Hemish Alangaratne, and I'm the founder of RX Group and the host of Let's Talk Quality. Let's Talk Quality is a podcast aimed at quality assurance professionals in pharma and biotech. Join us to learn from some of the best QA leaders around the world and hear how they've developed their careers as they provide some practical insights into how they've got to the top of their field. Our mission is to shine a light on what good quality assurance really means for pharma and biotech. What impact does it really have on the patient? We want to explore some of the biggest challenges facing the sector and inspire the next generation of quality assurance leaders to continue to help bring safer and better quality therapies to patients. Welcome to season one. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Jake. Morning, Hamish. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well today. Sunny New Jersey. Excellent, excellent. Well, I'm I'm excited for this episode. Um, we've been um, we've been talking about it for some time. Um, before we get into it, do you want to give everyone a um, brief introduction of who you are? Yeah, yeah. Thanks and again. Thanks again for having me having me as a guest. I've uh, I really enjoyed your podcast series, and I'm glad to get a chance to contribute. Um, so yeah, Jake Trees. I'm about 30 years in the industry. Um, Medical school was my initial plan when I came out of college in the early 90s, but um, that ultimately didn't work out. And I started doing basic research at the National Cancer Institute. Um, after that, after a couple of years of that, I transitioned into pharma, first in vaccines manufacturing. And then really around the time large molecules and biotech products were starting to rise, I, I transitioned into biopharmaceuticals manufacturing. And that was actually the time I transitioned from being a manufacturing leader to being a quality leader. Um, so I'd spent you know time over the years with a few different companies from Merck to GSK, ASI, and AstraZeneca. But then about five years ago, I had a chance to help lead quality within the cell therapy organization of Celgene, which later became Bristol-Myers Squibb. And I jumped at the chance to, to break into what was really a cutting edge part of the industry. Um, I started out by leading quality at a new plant in New Jersey that was built to ultimately do the commercial manufacturing of what is now a BECMA although that's now become a commercial product, multi-product site. And then about two and a half years ago, after the plant had been approved and Beckmo was launched, I moved into a role overseeing quality for the internal network of cell therapy manufacturing sites that Bristol-Myers was growing. Um, so you can see my, my experience in quality is heavily slanted towards commercial manufacturing. And I think that was the experience I brought to Celgene to share. Um, and you know, I've been I've did that up until June of this year, and then since then I've been working in consultation and continuing to learn and grow. Excellent. Well, we're going to get into um, we're we're going to talk a lot about that that journey um, with with BMS. Um, it was 2021, I believe, when the FDA approved the two autologous CAR T cell therapies, Abecma and Brianzi. Yep, um, that's right. I think there are there are six current FDA approved CAR T cell therapies um, for right. the treatment of blood cancer, um, yeah. and they they are often or, or always treating people that are on their last line of treatment. I, I suppose um, you know the the treatments they've had before have have not been successful, and it's often this is their last hope um, for a successful treatment. So we're going to talk about your experience of leading the quality function um, through the approval of those two CAR T cell therapies. Um, before we get into that, could you just, I suppose, give everyone who, who may not be aware, what is CAR T cell therapy and what it's all about? Yeah, yeah. It, it's 
so like I say, it's a fascinating area. I really wanted to be part of it. And I even go back to my, my National Cancer Institute days when I was taking grad classes. This is early 90s. I was learning about what CAR-T is. And it was really training the body's immune system to better fight cancer. Um, the And then, so really what it is, it's personalized medicine. At this stage of the game, it's personalized medicine. The aspiration is for someday... It'll be off-the-shelf medicine. But today, you know, a patient who has been sick and had one of these blood cancers will have their blood drawn at an apheresis center, sent to one of the manufacturers. As you mentioned, there's, there's four of us for six um, commercialized products to have those their, their T cells, which is basically the white blood cells that are trained to, you know, basically lead the immune system and fight and find find and fight the cancer. It it basically re-engineers those cells by putting a new receptor on the surface of those cells um, to to uh, and then and once we've put the new receptor on that cell, we, we we grow that cell up into the many millions and send those cells back to the the cancer patient. And those the blood then that those cells are reinfused into their blood and what results is a, a, an overwhelming immune response that you know fights the cancer even more effectively than it was doing before the uh, before the cells have been re-engineered. So, <clears throat> CAR stands for chimeric antigen receptor, and T is for T cells. So that's where the CAR T um, title comes from. Um, as I said today, uh, is very patient specific. You know. We don't. We, if you make a if you make a, a, a CAR T drug product lot, it can only be given back to that patient. It can't be given to other patients. There's a lot of work being done in industry right now to make what we call an allogeneic type of CAR T product, which is more of an off-the-shelf traditional pharma supply chain type of um, product that you know we really speed the process of getting these products to, to patients. And, and as you mentioned, it's been to this point, it's been largely the last line of defense um, for for these patients who have tried the other standard standards of care. Um, the good news is the companies who have licensed these products have continued to gather data and have started to make the case and even gained approval for it that these CAR-T products can be used in earlier and earlier lines of therapy. So there's a lot of advantages to that. Um, you know, if a patient doesn't have to go through chemotherapy or radiation, and can instead take the CAR T process as their treatment, which you know some I've never had CAR T therapy, but I think compared to chemotherapy and radiation, it's it's definitely more pleasant. It's not not easy, but definitely more pleasant. Um, that's a good way to go. And and really, the response rate for these CAR T products is just phenomenal, revolutionary. Um, so exactly what we want the, uh, the the treatment of these blood cancers and, and other cancers to be able to evolve to. Excellent. Well, <clears throat> let's um, let's go back to the start of your journey um, in CAR-Ts. And, um, so w- what was your first memory of, I suppose, realizing that you were going to play quite a critical role in um, the development, the approval, and the commercialization um, of BMS first, first cell therapies? How did you feel? Yeah, yeah. I I remember during the recruitment process, I was very excited. And like I mentioned, there's a concept I was initially in, introduced to in the early '90s, 
And when I saw that concept become reality with the approval of Kim Raya um, by Novartis, you know, we were still in 2018 when I started this recruitment process. You know, it was still pretty new. So I was very, very excited professionally to have a chance to be able to be part of um, that growing part of the industry. And then, you know, as, as I prepare for the role, you know, I watched some videos, some were patient testimonies from patients and their families, and some were some videos. I remember that our Celgene site in Seattle, you know, it was Juno, had put together um, some videos from people who were making those CAR-T products. And, and seeing that personal side of it, both, you know, from the patients as well as from the people who were making the product, um, and seeing the impact to those patients and those people who were making the product, their passion, um, it really showed me the uniqueness of these personalized medicines. And I, I just couldn't wait to get started um, so that I could have a chance to have a role in that that whole process. And so, you know, for me, it's it was getting a chance to lead that quality team. Coming in, I was seeing as a real privilege, certainly something I envisioned would be a career highlight. And what were your immediate plans um, when you were in, you know, first started the role? How did you go about building towards the end goal? Yeah, good, good point. I, so this is late 2018. Um, really, at that stage of the game, not a lot of quality precedent to lean on yet for CAR-T. Um, I had the benefit of working for a woman named Georgetta Pushkala, who was <clears throat> who is not only a brilliant quality leader, but she brought a lot of relevant experience from her time at Dendrion and launching the Provenge cancer vaccine. And there's a lot of parallels and similarities to CAR-T products in the form of personalized medicine. So she was able to really help me get up to speed with some important assumptions to use for the autologous products. Um, and they were just about all spot on. So helpful to have her as a North Star. Um, we were about two, two and a half years that way for that point from what our target licensure date was for Abecma. And just starting to make the first clinical lots in this brand new facility, still at a low volume, like maybe one or two patient lots per week. Um, we had transferred the manufacturing process, the analytical methods, the quality systems, a lot of talented people from our original clinical site. So we knew we could reliably make and test and release clinical material in those small volumes, but we were really aspiring to, to license that facility to serve 25 or 30 patients a week, you know, within a couple of years, you know, being on our way to that new facility's capacity of 100 plus lots per week. Um, so the good news is we had a team of really talented, really motivated people, but most of them had little to no experience with commercial manufacturing or some of those key licensure events we'd go through like health authority inspections. So high level, our vision was you know, develop a product and a facility that could be approved by health authorities and also be able to really to quickly launch and scale up this high demand. It would be a first-in-class product, ultimately making more than 100 patient lots per week. So, you know, for me and the role I was in, that was, you know, largely about providing leadership to ensure the quality processes and the culture at the plant would support that vision. Um, we had we'd been using phase appropriate GMPs for clinical lots made to the, the prior to the new facility, which made perfect, perfect sense. But, um, we really knew we had to start transitioning to and getting used to commercial GMP standards. And, um, for 
you know, what we're trying to do, you know, we had to move quickly in product development, you know, speed is paramount. Um, we don't need to be perfect at approval, but you need to at least be meeting the right standards the first time and not have to redo it later. So some of those fundamental things like environmental monitoring, PQs and equipment qualification and commissioning and aseptic process simulations. But some of the things that were a little different for this product was, again, autologous cell therapy. We had to establish an automated chain of identity process because we're going to start to bring a lot of patient lots into the facility and to make sure those didn't get mixed up. Um, we, you know, and we, we you know, as I mentioned earlier, we can't, you can't send patient A's cells to patient B, you know, so we wanted to make sure we had that, that automated so that the various steps of handling and testing and manufacturing the process wouldn't get mixed up. And that really hard to do, um, to build and validate this digital system, but team did a great job prioritizing and getting that in place efficiently. Um, one, just one other point that we did early on, um, <clears throat> we used some experienced auditors to, to assess our quality systems, just to quickly see what we we're doing well and to help us quickly pinpoint where we might be falling short. And that, that was helpful to help us make some important adjustments to our processes before we got too far into pre-licensing preparations. And because those auditors are coming from an objective perspective and a respected perspective as well, um, that was very helpful to us in terms of making sure we were making good decisions and making changes that were meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, and then probably the last thing was we knew we knew we have to grow our small team very quickly, not just in quality, but throughout the entire organization. So we wanted to make sure we got off the, the right start with a strong quality mindset and the people we had and the right culture from the beginning so that we could continue to build that as we went. Yeah. And let's talk about the people that you touched on it. Um, you know, lack of commercial um, manufacturing experience. What, what did the team structure look like at the start and, and how did that uh, develop throughout the process and, and over the years? Yeah, yeah, great question. So it was, it was I mean, a small team. Maybe it was maybe it was 40 people in total in the first three or four months. Um, they, they understood CAR-T very well. Again, many of them we had brought from our, our clinical manufacturing site in Warren, New Jersey. And they were excellent at supporting clinical manufacturing for a small number of patients. Um, we had, I was really, really lucky. I, there was two strong leaders who had been carrying the quality ball for the site up to the point that I got there. Uh, a woman named Danielle Manetti in QA and a gentleman named Irving Ford in QC. They had built small teams, but they were both, they were strong teams of like, passionate quality professionals who were very knowledgeable about cell therapy and great place to start from. Um, but because my sons, myself, and Danielle and Irv, most of them have not been part of a commercial quality site, um, let alone bring a new product to market. So um, we also had to make sure folks on the quality team really understood the differences between early phase clinical manufacturing and commercial manufacturing in terms of things like this day-to-day -day QA and QC activities and quality decision-making. Um, <clears throat> we did know because a BECMO is going to be a first-in-class product for multiple myeloma that the demand would be high. So we had a vision between Danielle and Irving and myself to build a QC team that could successfully and efficiently test those higher volumes of drug product and a QA team and quality systems that would ensure those higher volumes could be released correctly and swiftly. And we had to go from basically being a day shift operation to being a 24-7 operation. Um, you know, we... 
one of the things I've discovered over the years, and I think it definitely held here, was that finding quality talent is often a lot more difficult than finding manufacturing operators. Um, we were really lucky to some excellent talent acquisition partners in those early days, but but keeping up with the manufacturing team as far as having enough people onboarded and filling out our various functions in QA and QC was quite challenging. A QA looked like you know a, a, a fundamental QA team. We had a compliance group who managed things like auditing and regulations and training, document control. We had a, a QA shop floor team who managed you know the, the the various activities taking place in the shop floor, batch records review, deviations management, and then we had our batch disposition team um, who was you know working to efficiently make sure everything had been tested and closed out and documented before we released product back to patients. And then the QC team, you know, again, pretty standard QC team at that point in time. You know, we had the analytical side of, of uh, the operation. There was a group broken that was flow cytometry was, was really a, an area of specialization for us. And it is today for cell therapy. Um, but we also had a lot of molecular-based analytical methods and then of course our microbiology and sterility teams as well and our, our raw materials um just qc services team so it was a lot of people wearing a lot of hats as in those early days so we had a lot of a lot of different steps to cover um but you know as we as we grew more quickly uh, we were able to to bring some specialization in and and uh enable people to to really focus and get deeper into what they were doing. Um, but, you know, I was going to say, higher, I think we got to make grew the, the quality team to about 200 people right. in less than two years. And a large a large portion of that time was during the pandemic. So it was yeah. um, extra challenging to, to be hiring and onboarding people during that period. But, yeah, really exciting for us. So you had, to, yeah, so it went from 40 to roughly 200. And what was the succession underneath you like at the end of that when we, when it was 200 people? Um, so I had a, a team of, you know, a, a QC team that was led by Irving Ford. And um, Irving had a really strong team of QC directors underneath him, um, analytical, um, QC services, microbiology. And then on the QA side, you know, we had directors leading our compliance team, leading our disposition team, leading our QA operations team. So, you know, roughly five or six direct reports to make, you know, yeah. and then we tried to keep it, we tried to keep it, you know, no more than probably eight people per, per leader just to, to ensure we were getting the right level of personal yeah. attention and, um, and coverage across our, across our operations. Yeah. Cool. So, Let's talk about the run up to the BLA then, because um, obviously it, I can't imagine it was a smooth ride, um, and every, everything went went perfectly. Um, what were or the challenges, and what what were the set, setbacks that you, you faced along the way? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, so definitely a lot of successes, but for sure some setbacks that we we um, we learned a lot from. I, I think one that really stood out to me just as we were about to embark on making our performance pq lots we started to experience some cell growth and yield issues in our manufacturing and ultimately went through a long investigation linked these to you know the rapid growth and expansion 
that we had been doing in the manufacturing area. And that was through the help of using a lot of process experts to observe our process. And the learning experience there was, you know, we had brought a lot of new people into the business who were handling the cells. And there's nuances around critical knowledge within cell therapy and cell culture and analytical methods testing. Um, that maybe wasn't being as transferred as well as we wanted it to be. And so we were maybe not growing the cells as well as we, we had been growing them with people who had done it for, you know, many, many years. Um, so that caused us to not only step back and reevaluate our training and onboarding process and um, education of this new staff, but really just managing change as a whole. You know, that was one of the things, again, we're going fast. You're trying to be efficient and keep timelines. Um, but if you miss those little steps, you know, you actually set you back. And interestingly enough, we saw similar issues occur with our viral vector manufacturing processes at our CMOs as they expanded and um, grew. I, I, another setback that was that was challenging for us was, you know, we got, we filed the, the BLA the first time, we got a refusal to file letter from FDA. Um, you know, we had planned thoroughly. We had a lot of discussions, precursor meetings with FDA during the IND filings, and we had some learnings from some recent successful BLAs from cell gene and BMS from on the on the biologic side that we leveraged. But you know, authoring BLA is hard, and um, cell therapy was still really a new, very part of the very new part of the industry. And um, so, while we were surprised and of course disappointed. You could understand it, but to the team's credit, you know, we worked really hard with FDA to learn what the deficiencies were. There were some incredible efforts made to just quickly get it refiled and ultimately keep our license approval timelines on track. And then, you know, probably there, I'm not sure if I call it a setback, as much as just a really challenging experience was, as I mentioned, you know, the pandemic happened during this time, you know, and think about it for cell gene, our cell therapy teams are working in the shadows of New York City and Seattle, which were kind of like the two ground zeros for COVID in the U.S. Um, you know, obviously extremely nervous teams coming to work every day, but extremely resilient. You know, we had patient lots we were still working on, and we made sure those were manufactured and tested perfectly. Just real credit to to our staffs for, hmm. you know, fighting through that and making sure we, we were able to be successful. Our manufacturing rate slowed down because a lot of the apheresis centers got closed around the U.S. Um, but, you know, the FDA was, and other health authorities, even though they weren't traveling very much at the time, they were prioritizing these cell therapy products. And um, so we had to continue to prepare for those inspections and our license approval process. And we were lucky to get a window um, where FDA said, we'll come to your facility and inspect you. This was early 2021. Um, we, we jumped on it. And... Um, you know, figured out the best way to host an inspection with pandemic conditions and social distancing in place. And we ultimately hosted three inspections at our facility in early 2021 over an eight-week period. Um, the FDA inspection was face-to-face -face with four FDA inspectors. And then we had two distant inspections, these virtual inspections, which were conducted virtually with Health Canada and, and also the one with the Dutch Health Authority. And uh, overall, they all went very well. I back my got approved three weeks ahead of our original target date. So even after those setbacks, it was just an incredible team effort that we all learned a lot from. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a testament to your team, to your management um, leaders, uh, and, and obviously to your leadership. But to 
you know, to go through the pandemic and and leading throughout COVID, and and then to to receive those setbacks um, on that journey. How I mean, from a leadership perspective, how did you maintain? Um, I suppose that the mission, the that you know, the 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 motivation, and to keep people going towards driving towards that mission. How, how did you go about, um, you know, creating a creating that um, motivation within the team? Yeah, well, you know, the good news was everyone who was working at both of our sites in Seattle and New Jersey, you know, were already really passionate people about what they were doing. They were there for a reason, you know, and so um, they the the, the the raw materials in terms of passion and motivation was already in place. So really was up to us as leaders was to figure out how do we, you know, make sure these people feel cared about and minimize their risk wherever possible. Bristol Myers was great as far as providing the resources we needed to, you know, if we wanted to, you know, enable people to work remotely, um, we could do that. You know, the people who had to be on site, you know, to, because they're handling the product or testing the product or shipping the product. Um, we worked out as much as we could things in their schedules so that they could come and go at, at, at reasonable times. And if there wasn't a need for them to be on site to get out of there, we did things like sending people home with meals and groceries so that, you know, they didn't have to expand their risks, you know, beyond just coming to work. And, you know, it's really a lot about just making sure people felt cared about during that period of time. I, I think, I think overall people appreciated it. Um, you know, certainly a learning for a lot of us. I saw some amazing leadership during that period of time, some incredible resilience from the, from the people who were, were working on, but you know, it was, it was awesome to see people always keep the patient in mind. Um, and to see leaders making sure they're, they were doing what they could to help their their teams feel cared about and uh and protected yeah brilliant and so now let's move towards like the the bla and the ma how, how did it feel for you how did it feel for your team when you when you receive that approval um after all the um all the pain and, and challenges and and um journey that you've been through how did it feel to get the the bla and ma maa yeah yeah that was great um really came in a couple of instances. So first was the inspections. You know, I think about the FDA inspection was our first inspection. It was done in early February 2021, face-to-face during the pandemic. We happened to have two blizzards in New Jersey that week also. So just like stack up all the obstacles, you know. And um, But, you know, having that team and a lot of them had never experienced a health authority inspection. And at the end of the week, look at what they'd accomplished together and built towards over the last several months. That's just such a great feeling. Um, I still remember just, you know, seeing this, this room of people who had worked so hard. Yeah. Uh, very proud of themselves. It was a, it was a great feeling. <clears throat> the only regret was that there was, you know, no way for us to go out and celebrate as a big group at the bar, which is usually my favorite part of inspection. <laughs> but, uh, then the, the second part was, you know, we got the message of approval. We got it around 930 at night. It was late March. Um, we were hoping we were going to get approval that day. Um, just required a little more time, but wow, that was just the, the excitement electronically, the, the various messages that started pinging from people to people about, you know, this excitement of having the approval. Really, really happy. 
for the team, really happy for the people who had been there for several years and put a lot into those products and helping patients in this revolutionary way when they saw all our efforts pay off. Um, and then, you know, we had to quickly pivot because literally 30 minutes later that night, we were back into planning for a rapid launch at 10 o'clock in a meeting. Wow. And um, wow. since we had this license now that allowed us to serve even more patients and we were, we were working hard on it. You know, and the good news we got right after launch was that far more people wanted this product than we anticipated. Um, the bad news is it was far more people than we, appro- we were approved to manufacture at the time. So our time to celebrate the approval is pretty short. Uh, we really had to strap in and get to work building more capacity for manufacturing and testing. But, but you know, Hamish, the, the joy of the success was overriding everything. You know, so many people had put years of their life betting into on this type of therapy. And not just the industry titans like Tristan Hagee and Ann Lee, but hundreds of others. The, hundred, the 300 or so we had in our plant who had come to be part of this incredible journey, just that you know, crossing the finish line together with a team of people you really admire. It's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, it's beyond cool. It's um, it's an incredible story and something that very you know very few people in the world have 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 done and achieved. And you should be very proud, and your team should be very proud. And it's it's incredible and really inspiring to hear the you know the journey um, of you leading leading the guys through all of that. And you know, actually to actually hear the the moments when it happened and 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 um, and to um, to know what it you know get an insight into what it felt like is very um, you know. I um, feel very privileged to to hear all that. So, um, thank thank you for sharing it all. Um, yeah. Jack, it's great. Um, and then I suppose for people that are in that position now, the quality leaders or or people developing cell therapies or CAR T cell therapies now, what do you think the key things that to be aware of? Um, the key challenges, you know, any advice for for people going through that now? Yeah. Uh- yeah, maybe indulge me a little because I, I have some. I'll, I'll try and keep it brief, but it's uh, I, have, I have definitely. I, mean, I could talk a lot about like establishing critical quality attributes and maximizing design space and control strategies, but I think that's too lengthy, and most quality leaders know that already. So I'll just give some practical points. Um, you know, one, since you ultimately want to commercialize your product, a big piece of advice is just routinely assess if your systems and team. We'll be ready to grow a product when it reaches that point. You know, you know. For example, in QA, do you have a lot release process that can ensure the vein to vein time stays short for every patient when you start to make 10, 15 lots a week, um, or do you need electronic batch records, electronic lab notebooks, or process automation to implement to meet those goals? In QC, are you developing methods that are are robust when you start to make more lots? Do you have enough instruments? You know, asking these questions early on is important. Because implementing those improvements like electronic systems and QC method changes cannot always be done quickly. You need some runway and thinking about that as much as possible early on allows you to set yourself up for success. Another piece of advice, stay engaged with the health authorities. And in my experience, you know, they want to see these products get approved. We certainly saw that. We had the refusal to file and then numerous other conversations leading up to licensure. They are generally very welcoming to questions and conversations if you do it through the right channels. Um, I had the fortune to work with uh, some really good regulatory science professionals, and I recommend, you know, this process of staying in touch. That rapport and trust that got built was not only helpful for licensure, but it was helpful post-licensure because, you know, we're still learning a lot. 
and having those good relationships was really helpful in working through some challenging scenarios, you know, unclear scenarios. That, that's been my experience, at least. I think it's a really good thing to do. Um, monitoring quality product performance. Again, when you're making one or two lots a week or, a, you know, five lots a month or something like that, you know, there's, you're paying a lot of close attention to those data. Um, that goes along with those processes. But when you start to make um, many lots a month, you know, tracking things like critical quality attributes and parameters across your supply chain, including the QC lab, including your contract manufacturers and contract testing laboratories. <clears throat> you know, the most mature CAR-T products or you know, facilities are making 60 or more lots each week. But even at smaller volumes, let's say 10 or 15 patient lots a week, a shift or a drift and even a raw material attribute or an analytical method can can quickly impact your product quality performance if you don't spot it quickly. And the, the, the challenge with that is that means you may not be able to get your cells back to patients as quickly as, as you, you need to. So um, paying attention to the data, understanding the data is, is really important. Um, pragmatic piece of advice, there's a talent war right now on going on in this business. And Quality is one of the areas filling that the most, especially QC. Um, I always tell my daughters, if you want a job, go work in QC. Go have a job. You know, um, everyone is competing for the same resources, and demand is greater than supply right now. And so, I was really lucky. Had innovative talent acquisition processes and phenomenal talent acquisition professionals. Um, having that in place, you know, it's not it's not the same hiring process you use for that you've been used to and the large companies have been used to over time. Um, the reality is you're not going to be able to help to keep everyone you hire. So you need to have processes also to help you quickly react to personnel setbacks. And that includes a really rapid and effective onboarding and training of new staff and that sort of thing, but also just being able to attract staff. And then maybe the last thing I would say is you know, stay up to speed what's happening in this part of the industry because it's evolving quickly. You know, there are people out there who have already been successful commercializing CAR-T products. Um, a lot of super talented and experienced people who speak at the various conferences. And like, if I think about like Irving Ford, Andrea Carpenetz, Stefan Krauss, Nolan Polson, Ken Riker, Heidi Davis, these are just a few great quality professionals who speak at conferences who can really learn a lot from about CAR-T commercialization. And that's just, those are just people I know. There's there's lots of others like them. And some really good consultants out there right now who have partnered with commercial CAR-T companies and now have a good understanding of the supply chain challenges. Um, maybe just a couple of last bullet points. Close up the open steps in your process wherever you can. Save yourself the risk of the product, but also the challenges of needing Class A and excessive gowning environmental monitoring. Build operational excellence and lean planning in early. Um, you likely have pro pretty many manual processes that are full of waste. Um, so early on is the time to instill that mindset of smoothing out processes and error reductions. And don't skimp on the QA and QC areas for lean manufacturing and operational excellence. That's that's what often happens is QA and QC forget get forgotten about, and all of a sudden they become the bottlenecks. So hopefully that's helpful. That's really, yeah, it's incredibly helpful. That's really good practical um, advice. Um, what are the factors that the industry as a whole needs to consider now um, in ensuring that these therapies are being supplied and, and meeting the demand for them? 
Yeah. I mean, so one guy's opinion, I mean, there are so many people out there who can benefit from these therapies. Um, and with the approval of them, we were talking earlier about, you know, being approved for earlier lines of treatment, that number of people is going to go up, which is great. Um, there is room for a lot of approved products, in my opinion, because the currently approved therapies cannot supply all the patients who want the product. Um, so, you know, that especially as we generate data to and start treating patients in earlier lines of therapy. But from a manufacturing quality guy's perspective, you know, focus on automation and simplification as these new processes come along is paramount in this, this next generation. You know, these first generation products have been very beneficial to establish those regulatory pathways um, and to understand some potential product quality issues. But, you know, the subsequent approvals really need to show some step changes from away from highly manual processes and analytical methods and more digitalization and automation. Um, even from a, from a quality guy's perspective, automation like electronic batch records, electronic lab notebooks helps error-proof should expedite the release process. Um, but in my experience, developing and implementing those systems has been very challenging. The industry just needs to get better at that as a core capability. I think in QC testing, you know, it's continuing to develop rapid methods, digital technology to help with the data intensity of those methods. And on the QA side, you know, continuing to push the boundaries for release at risk in the QA processes. It's, it's a slippery slope, but um, you know, the cost and benefit of what these products can provide to patients, um, you know, opens the door, I think, for some, some growth in that area and some flexibility in that area, especially as we gather more and more and more data, um, about the products and what their capabilities are. Um, I think from a product quality perspective, continue to, continue to understand how these products work. So if you think about mm -hmm. it, you know, like, Unlike most products, traditional pharma products, the starting materials for autologous cell therapies are varied from patient to patient because each patient's cells are unique. You know, the mm -hmm. age of the cells, therapies they've been through previously, their health at the time of apheresis, things of that nature. Yeah. We've realized that sometimes the manufacturing te and testing processes are done perfectly, but the cells still don't grow or the release specs aren't met. And that maybe right. there was something we could have seen during patient pre-screen that would have helped us to know in advance it wasn't the right time for that patient's cells, or we had to take some other measures to ensure success. I see. Okay. That's, yeah, it's really interesting. And um, I'd like to just sort of fit, get, as we get towards the end of the conversation, um, two, two or three years on now, um, having gone through all of that and and now I suppose like seeing the impact that it's having on people's lives, on society and, um, you know, li literally savings, saving people's lives. Um, how does, how do you reflect on that time looking back? Yeah. Uh, well, totally there's a lot of pride there, you know, being able to help, <clears throat> you know, having a piece of being able to help so many patients and many more patients get through, uh, get through their, their challenges you know, through the licensure of these products has been, you know, the main reward. Um, I think, you know, getting these products approved, you know, these six CAR-Ts being approved and launched and grown has contributed to sort of carving that regulatory pathway and understanding. And that's going to help, 
Bristol Myers, for example, bring its pipeline and next generation cell therapy products to licensure more effectively. But it's also helping those other companies who are working on their first commercial ATMP, you know, as a roadmap for approval. And you know, the reality is evolution's coming. These these therapies are broadening to more than blood cancers, you know, solid tumor cancers, other diseases besides cancer. <clears throat> and you know, a lot of work is taking place to build on the currently commercialized products. So those processes are faster and more reliable, more affordable. Um, so if I reflect, there's, there's a few there's a few different aspects of like long-term good that came out of that experience. And I'm, as I said, happy to have had a little part in it. Absolutely. Right. Well, let's um, finish off the, the the conversation with um, some quick fire questions, which um, which I do with all the, all the guests. Um, what, who and you've mentioned a few people on this call, which has been great. But who, who has been your um, or who have been your biggest inspiration in your career to date? Yeah, well, I mean, I think like a lot of people in the industry, I, I get into it for the patients, and I'm inspired by them, the resilience they, their loved ones show in really difficult circumstances. And a lot of us have people we keep in mind, you know, who've inspired us. And for me, it's my friends Betty and Karen and Maureen. Um, but I've also learned from a lot of people over the years, you know, too many to mention. Um, but there are a couple, I've, I've always been inspired by what I think is very authentic leadership and pragmatic quality mindset, like pragmatic quality mindset of a, a guy named Tony Myers Lewis, who I got to work with some at AstraZeneca. Um, every time I spoke with him or listened to him, I took away something that made me better as a leader, as a quality professional. So, um, the other person is a woman named Ann Lee, who I mentioned earlier, someone who I admired for a long time, um, relentless patient focus, um, focus on servant leadership, always walking the talk. I mean, she led cell therapy development at Juno and then Celgene and Bristol Myers, really very inspirational to me and everyone who worked on her team as we brought up Beckma and Brianzi to Leisinger. And, you know, she's the kind of leader who leads from the front during the hard times and, you know, is very deferential in the successful times. Um, so both Tony and Ann exhibit qualities that I value and I continue to work on getting better at. And it's it's great to have them as role models. Um, final question, what what um, what inspires you and, and what, what now, looking forward, what gets you up in the morning? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, certainly it's trust of our patients. You know, working in this space is really hard. Um, requires some pioneer spirit, which that can be good and bad. But the bottom line is knowing each drug product is very likely to change someone's life and the lives of their loved ones for that matter and for the better. And that's inspiring. So, um, yeah, the challenge to routinely get the product to them quickly but safely, heck, I don't know if that sounds right or not, but it could be a little bit of an adrenaline rush. Um, but I, you know, the other thing for me, I, I, I've, always been moved by having a chance to work with a strong team of people I like towards a challenging goal. And that's been throughout my life, no matter where I was, what I was doing. Um, I've been lucky in my pharma career that I've had experiences feeling with a few different teams, including this experience we've been talking about. Um, getting to play a crucial role is motivating to me, whether it's helping others from a leadership position or if it's I'm providing skills or expertise as an individual contributor. There's really no sweeter feeling for me than being part of a passionate team that crosses the finish line together in a difficult challenge, you know, especially a challenge that maybe wasn't guaranteed to succeed, like the one we went through with with Abekma. So um, the chance to 
make progress on a daily basis on a team that's working hard to accomplish something incredible is that gets me going every day. So I'm looking for the next challenge around that. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Jake, it's been an absolutely fascinating, um, inspiring, um, informative um, conversation that we've had. And, and I'm sure that um, a lot of, a lot of people will take some really key and practical insights, but also, um, you know, qu- quite, quite, um, quite some, you know, inspirational and, and motivational um ideas and 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 um and thoughts for the, for both themselves and for the people that they work with um so thank you so so much for coming on the show um it's very much appreciated and and for sharing your insights into the journey with with bms and and um and talking in detail about um car t cell therapy and and its um future um very excited to see you know more of these therapies get approved and and um and all the work that you've done and your team have done over the over the last few years continue yeah, thanks for the kind words and, and thanks for the opportunity to participate today. I, I really enjoyed it also. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks, Jack. Thank you for listening to today's show. I hope that you got value from it, whether you're starting your career in quality or if you're at the top of your field. Today's episode was brought to you by RX Group. I'm the founder of RX Group. We are a pharma and biotech recruitment organization focusing purely on quality assurance. We recruit consultants and senior level permanent quality professionals into the pharma and biotech industry. If we can support you, whether that be in a hiring capacity or if you yourself are looking for work, please get in touch with me on LinkedIn, visit our LinkedIn page where you can subscribe to the podcast and visit our website www.rx-group.io to find out more about us. See you soon.